Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy talks about how we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus. Enjoy the message. Uh, We're talking about perhaps maybe what is my favorite core value, and that we are not a perfect people, but real people made new. And we're specifically going to just park on that core value. So if you've been with us for more than a couple weeks, you definitely know this. You may even be sick of hearing it, but you better not get sick of hearing it because it is who we are. It's the DNA of who we are. The reason why I love this core value is that it's a declaration that we have a saving faith in Jesus Christ and that he is making us a new person uh, constantly all the time. It's a transforming process. You know, this is the good news, that before Jesus Christ, we are alienated, we are lost, but now through Jesus Christ, we are found. Uh, you know, stories, when they're told, they typically have a structure. Uh, they, you may have learned this as, as early as middle school, uh, the structure of, of a setting or exposition, the conflict, that is the rising action. Uh, you have the climax or the turning point, and then finally the resolution. The setting of a story, this is where it's like once upon a time, right? In the fairy tales, once upon a time. Or, or if you're kind of a Star Wars geek, you might a long time ago in a galaxy far away, right? So that is the beginning, the setting of the story. It tells the when, uh, the where, maybe what time it is. The exposition kind of sets up what's going on uh, in the setting. And so you might see the introduction of characters. You might understand their background. And as the exposition carries on, you begin to have rising action. You begin to see maybe the emerging of a conflict. Uh, usually a conflict is between one person and another, or in some sci-fi movies, it could be an alien or whatever. Uh, but the thing is, is in that conflict, you have two people that are diametrically opposed on something. And so in video game land, you have Mario opposed to Bowser because he stole the princess. Or in Rocky, you have Rocky opposed to the Russian because the Russians are bad, right, according to Rocky. And so Rocky needs to win to impress Adrian. You know, you all, you all seen uh, this structure, right? And then uh, what happens at the climax or the turning point, you see, uh, you, you see what happens. You see Rocky beating the Russian. You see Mario saving the princess. Or, or you see uh, possibly even the hero dying for, a, uh, for an honorable cause. And then finally the resolution is you find out what happens in the aftermath of the conflict, the aftermath of that turning point. And so hopefully the story ends and they lived happily ever after, right? Unless, unless uh, it, it, our jaws drop because we just witnessed a horrific tragedy. And there are tragedies, but a lot of people aren't hooked on tragedies. Or there's probably something wrong with you if, you, if there is, if you do. But uh, uh, we want to see the, the story resolved. And the thing is, Jesus Christ does just that in your life. In your life is a story. In your life uh, is a story that God wants to bring out, and he wants to bring out resolution. You know, we're hooked on this type of process of story. It's the reason why we go to, we read books and with, with uh, epic tales or, or where we go to the movie theater and we watch uh, uh, the newest movie, you know, one of the newest movies. Some of you think this is an awesome movie. Some of you don't. Some of you hate sequels. It's Independence Day Resurgence or Independence Day 2, right? Now, I'm not about today to ruin that story for you because some of you may have not seen it, and I don't want to ruin that plot. I don't want to be that guy. So I'm going to go back, and I'm going to talk to you about the first Independence Day. So if you're really behind the curve here, if you're really behind the times, and you don't want to uh, be spo- you don't want the, the plot line to be spoiled, just plug your ears, and at the right time, I'll give you the thumbs up, and then you can unplug your ears. Okay, we got that. All right, so here it is the setting in the exposition of Independence Day. It's July 2nd, 1996, and an alien mothership, one fourth the size of the moon, enters the Earth's orbit and it releases 
36 other ships that are smaller in size. <laughs> smaller is all relative, right? Because these ships are still 15 miles wide. And they park over strategic locations, usually cities with awesome landmarks, because they like to blow those things up, apparently. All right, and so it, what's interesting in the beginning of the movie is they don't know the nature. Are the aliens nice aliens? Are they friendly little ghosts that are going to come by? Or, or are, they, are they aliens that are, you know, after to harm the people of Earth. They didn't know this. Finally, they figured out. And by the time they figured out and deployed the military, it's too late. So you need a hero. Enter in Will Smith. Will Smith is Captain Stephen Heller, and he has uh, joined the military. And he's this unlikely hero. In one scene, he soft lands his plane, tricking a alien spacecraft to follow him. Subsequently, the alien spacecraft crashes, and he dies. Now, on the turning point, Will Smith leads a, a group of, of, of uh, other members of the military to go up to the mothership to upload a virus to the mothership because nobody could really take on these aliens because they had a force field protecting their ships. But if they uploaded a virus in the mothership, the force field would go away, and that's precisely what they did. They uploaded the, the, the virus, the force field went away, and the military went crazy on the aliens. So crazy, they used all their ammunition, of course. In a Hollywood movie, you have to use all your ammunition. How do you do that? I don't know, but they did, except for one unlikely sacrificial hero. There's a sacrificial hero that emerged, an unlikely hero. Uh, this guy was a whittled crop duster that resembled Uncle Eddie from Christmas Vacation. He says, I have one last bomb, and I will do it. Well, the bomb jammed, and so he realized the only way for him to save humanity is to kamikaze his plane, crash landing it, thus taking his own life, yet saving humanity. And that's precisely what he did. And America and the rest of the world lived happily ever after until 2016 when the aliens came back. So, um, yeah, that's. do you see the formula, though? And here's the thing. It doesn't take a Hollywood movie, it doesn't take an epic story being written and sold and put on New York Times bestsellers list for a story to be told. God is forming a story, and specifically if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, a testimony to be told to the world. You, your story matters. And so this morning, uh, we're gonna talk about why your story matters. You see, God is not bound by a linear progression of time. Think about this. God is timeless. He's outside the expanse of time. He sees, he hovers, if you can just visualize your, your life as just one long timeline, he hovers over your birth and he hovers over your death. He sees everything in between. And so he sees it all. But in that, God is in your story. The question is, is God working through your life, creating a testimony? Let's start where the story begins for all of us. We were born or we were created, right? Our story begins with creation. The setting is found in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Take a look at this, Genesis 1, 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created human beings to have a personal relationship with him. He created us to, have, to, to reflect his goodness. But the problem is, uh, sin entered the equation. Sin makes us doubt that we were created to have a relationship with him. But listen, this is how much God knows you and loves you. Psalm 139, 13 through 15 says, For you were formed in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in the secret, inter, uh, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, God created you. 
because he loves you, because he deeply wants to know you. The Bible says he knows every hair that's on your head. God wants to know you. He created you so that you would know him. The problem is, is that sin has separated us from what we were created for. In fact, uh, Isaiah 59, one through two says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, that is your sin, have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That's a separation. If you can't hear somebody or you're not hearing from somebody, you may have known somebody or, or talked to somebody in previously, but you don't currently have a relationship. So do you have a relationship with God? Well, sin has separated all, every single one of us. So the conflict of our story is that we've sinned and that we live in a fallen world of sin and that we're left with, to, to figure it out, so we think. And so, you know, if, if, if the story was just left at that, it'd be, it'd be quite a tragedy. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That means the outcome of our sin is death. You know what many people try to do? Many people try to, they realize that life isn't satisfying. Uh, we may be satisfied with different things in life or different, uh, different hobbies or different friendships or, or, or different possessions or whatever, but the reality is if we are really honest with ourselves, just be really, really honest with yourself right here. Are you always satisfied? Have you found something of this earth that ultimately satisfies? I haven't. But that's because we weren't created or made for those things. We were created and made to be with Jesus, to be made for God, by God, to enjoy God. Here's the main thing that I want us to remember this morning. If you forget anything, don't forget this thing, okay? Here's the main thing. We all have a story to tell but is it a testimony? We all have a story to tell, but is it a testimony? Many think a story and testimony are the same thing, but when in fact a testimony is demonstrating what God is doing in and through your life. So what is God doing in and through your life? If you've placed your faith in Christ, you have a testimony. You have a testimony. Now some people think I don't have a testimony, I, I, wasn't a, I wasn't dealing drugs or robbing banks or doing this or that or whatever. And those are, you know, those are really awesome testimonies that God can change anybody's life from any background. But the reality is for many of us, and I'd say probably most of us, we have pretty ordinary lives. And so we may be tempted to think, I don't have a testimony or a story worth telling. And that's false. Every single one of you, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God is building up a plot line and a testimony for you to tell the world. You don't need a horror story to have a testimony. So when you're thinking about your testimony, think of this simple equation. Who were you before Christ plus the circumstances of when you placed your faith in Christ equals who you are now? Let me say this again. Who you were before Christ plus the circumstances of when you placed your faith in Christ equals who you are now. Here's the thing. Every single one of us started off as non-Christians, as people that didn't follow Jesus, that didn't believe in Jesus. Some of you may be in this room now and that, that characterizes your life right now. But every single person in this room right now, uh, that's our starting point. But for many, 
they place their faith and trust in Jesus. And there's usually a circumstance or a person or a place or a reason why your mind changed about Jesus. And so it's who you were before Christ plus the circumstances that led you to believe in Jesus equals your story, who you are right now. So we all have a story to tell, but is it a testimony? You know, here's the thing. Our life should demonstrate a change. It's not that we have to change to receive Jesus, but when we receive Jesus as Savior, our life should demonstrate change as we begin to think in gratitude of what Jesus did. The Bible contains example after example of dramatic eternity change in people's lives. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. God spoke to him, used him to spread uh, the name of Jesus Christ all throughout the world. But before he was a follower of Christ, he was considered what the Bible said was a Hebrew of Hebrews. What that really meant was this, is that Paul, when he was known as Saul, people saw him, when they, when they would see him, when the religious people would see him, the, the Jewish religious people, they'd be like, whoa, there is Saul. Like, he is the man of mans. Like, he is the guy I aspire to be. You know, they would, they would get, they'd probably get a selfie with him or take autographs or, get, or whatever. He would be the man. But to the Christian, to the Christian followers of Jesus Christ, he was like the Osama bin Laden terrorist. Like, he was known to drag Christians off and, and have them arrested or persecuted. Uh, the Bible says he approved of followers of Christ's murder. And many speculate that he probably murdered as well. So he was, he was the man. And the reason why he went the extra level in killing Christians, or, or at least approving of that, is because he wanted to prove his worth, his good. He wanted to live up to his reputation and show that indeed he was good enough for God's approval. But Jesus met him. When, when Saul was on the road of Damascus to, to drag Christians to be persecuted, to drag them away and be persecuted, Jesus, Jesus shone his light on him, the scripture says, and threw him to the ground and stopped him dead in his tracks. And Saul, who later became Paul, placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ right there. He went from a terrorist to a preacher. It's kind of weird. But that's what I love about Jesus, is Jesus takes the unlikely. He takes the unlikely people from all walks of life, and he makes them his followers. It's an amazing thing. So we all have a story to tell, but is it a testimony? We're going to take a look at Paul further. If you have your scripture or if you have your Bible, if you have your, your phone, your version app, take a look at Acts 9.19. And we're going to take a look at this equation, who Paul was before, the circumstances leading up to who he is now. So we all have a story to tell, but is it a testimony? And when your testimony begins, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, your, your, your life should progressively grow more like Christ. This is something that we can gloss over in the church today that, that we don't think is important, that we kind of let, let people just accept Jesus as Savior and place their faith and trust in, in Jesus, and then that's it, and they never grow. But as we see in the Bible, it is normative. It is the normal experience of followers of Christ to grow and be more like Jesus. That's normal. That's the normal progression. So today, I want to give us something that's very simple, a simple benchmark for us to know and see how are you growing in your faith? How are you growing in your faith today? The foundation is this, placing your faith in Jesus. That's the foundation. Too many people try to act religious, do godly things, attend church, do this or that, whatever, thinking they're getting God's favor without really 
coming to realization, do they actually know Jesus? Have they placed their trust and faith in him alone? No act of works can bring the separation back together again. Only Jesus can do that. You see, that's the turning turning point in our story, isn't it? It's the conflict is, sin's entered the picture. We've rebelled against God. But Jesus, he came to this earth 2,000 years ago to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, to do what we're incapable of doing, and he bridged that gap. He bridged that gap. That is our turning point. And so at our turning point, it, it allows us, it gives us the opportunity to grow and finally be more like Jesus. That's what we were created for, right? To reflect and be like Jesus. And so the foundation is placing your faith in Jesus. But step one is that you grow that you grow and be like Jesus. Step two, tell Jesus' story to others, so talk about Jesus. And step three is mobilize others to share Jesus' story. So, or basically make followers who make followers who make followers of Jesus. So here are the foundation and the three steps. Now think about this for a moment. Where do you think you're at right now? So just pause. Where are you at? You just set the foundation, step one, step two, or step three. Let's take a look at Acts 9.19. For some days, he, that is Paul, was with the disciples at Damascus, and he immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. So the foundation, as we had said earlier, is that Saul became Paul. Saul, uh, a persecutor of Jesus, a murderer of Christians, met Jesus on the road to Damascus and was changed. He placed his faith and trust in Jesus and his life was changed. That's his foundation. When you try to build your story on any other foundation, the Bible says you can't. It's like sinking sand. It's like, it's like a house that, that's on the edge of a cliff and, and, there's a, uh, and it topples over into the ravine. It just doesn't work. So the foundation must be Jesus. We see that. And so Paul spent a considerable amount of time after he placed his trust in Jesus alone in solitude, learning from the Lord. Uh, we get a glimpse of this in Galatians 1, 15 through 18. Galatians 1, 15, it says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to, just, to those who were the apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. So after his time in Arabia, which is like the desert of all deserts, right? Uh, he went to Damascus, and we see in verse 21, uh, the story picks up. And all who heard him, that is Paul, were amazed and said, is this man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? Is this not that man? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief of priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Let's break this down for a second. Remember, the Osama bin Laden terrorist to the Christians has just entered your city, right? And he's proclaiming the name of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, right? I don't know about you, but I'd be a little skeptical, right? They're like, what the crud? What is going on? What? Is that, no, and I, is this a ploy? Is he trying to get us? Like, that's what I would be thinking, right? Is that normal? And so what Paul had to do is through his consistency of character and becoming more like Christ and the message that he was speaking, people became convinced. Now, listen, 
I understand in this circumstance it might have taken a long time to convince him. It's like if a politician came to Christ, you have to realize, is he just gaming me or is, or is he really, really placed his faith and trust in Christ? But here's the thing, is that when someone places their faith and trust in Jesus, we need to take that at face value. And we need to, we need to usher them in and help them grow in the body that we call the church. So here's the thing. Uh, when we place our faith and trust in Christ, he wants us to journey with him, to be more like him, uh, to see his kingdom expand on earth as, in, as it is in heaven. As a follower of God, God wants you to do this. He wants you to have daily steps of obediences. He wants you to have daily steps of obediences rather than just momentary compliances. Think about that. To get where God wants you to go as a follower of Christ, daily steps of obediences instead of momentary compliances. It's a big difference there. There's a big difference. So the foundation's Jesus. Step one, we need to grow. We need to follow Jesus in our life. Again, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to mess up. And I think the thing is, it's being transparent when we have, not as an excuse to stop growing, but as fuel to grow. When we're transparent, we will grow if your heart is set to grow and not make excuses. So we see in the text, indeed, there was growth in Paul's life. And this is what, this is what convinced the church that he was being genuine. When we place our trust and faith in Jesus, when you understand who Jesus is, there is an expectation again, and it's a normative practice to see people grow and become more like Jesus after they have professed Christ. The alternative is you're neglecting such a great uh, salvation, that you're, you're neglecting such a, uh, a great relationship, a, a dynamic relationship you can have in your day-to-day with Jesus. Or worse yet, it could be that you really didn't understand what you did, and that, that can be uh, very dangerous. But verse 22, but Saul, who is Paul, increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is imperative that you're taught by God. It's imperative that you grow. And a way that you do this is you read his word. You spend time with his people, the local expression, uh, the church. To grow, here are two very imperative things if you want to grow. Number one is you need to spend time with God. You need to spend time alone with God. I know for me, sometimes my church office is the worst place to spend time alone for God because, you know, people come by and say hi. And I love that, by the way. I love that. But I realize is that I need to get away where no one knows where I'm at so I can have no distractions with God. No distractions with God. But here's the thing. Even when I get alone and I'm reading my Bible on my phone, right? Like, I, I'm going to admit to you, I've been on the, the Bible app. And somewhere, somehow, 10 minutes later, I realize why am I scrolling Facebook? <laughs> why am I getting, why am I on Instagram right now? What, what happened? You know, and so, and I realized I got distracted through push notification or whatever. And so shut the phone off, do whatever you need to do and get alone time with God. I d- try to do that every single day. Um, in fact, I challenge you the next 30 days, do it every day. And if something didn't, if, if your life isn't more enriched, uh, I will buy you a cup of coffee or something, okay? And so uh, next 30 days, Spend time alone, even if it's just a few minutes. Spend time alone with God. Don't let anything distract you. The second thing is spend time with other followers of Christ who are actually following Christ, okay? There's a lot of people who are followers of Christ in name only, but spend time with people that are genuinely following Jesus. Um, And again, you do this by being committed to your local expression uh, of the the body of Christ. And so that's why it's important that we uh, don't neglect meeting together. Radical life transformation is not a personal thing. It is meant to be lived out in community. You cannot grow if you're going to go it alone. 
You cannot grow if you're going to do it alone. And so we grow as together we encourage one another. So that's step one. Step one is grow. Step two is tell Jesus' story to others. Basically, talk about Jesus. That's step two. Verse 22, we see Paul doing this. But Saul, who's Paul, increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He was talking about Jesus. That's how he's backing up his life. He's like, hey, this is, this is who Jesus is. Paul was talking about Jesus so much that the very people that were getting his autograph a few weeks ago, that were getting selfies with Paul, right? Proverbially, right? They were now wanting to kill him. They were now wanting to murder him. The guy they looked up to, like, well, we got to kill him now. <laughs> this is what he taught us to do. And so Paul made very good disciples in his former life because now they want to kill him, right? Now he's trying to make disciples where people can follow Jesus in the everyday life. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But, the, but these disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, luring him in the basket. When you are saved, when you're forgiven by Jesus, you are transformed. And, and the thing is, is when you realize what Jesus has done for, done for you, you realize that he, you have passed from death into life, how could you hold back this message? How could you hold back a message that means so much to you? We, we, we are willing to talk about things that are outdated within two years, whether it be our phones or, 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 or whatever, right? But yet Jesus, he means so much to us. So here's the thing. When the reality of the gospel becomes an everyday expression of what we do or say, Jesus will be brought up. Jesus will be brought up through our words, our actions. And the gospel of Jesus will be interweaved to our discussions without being forced or being weird. You know, I think when Jesus is brought up and it's just awkward and it's weird, it's probably because you're not talking about him or he's not weaving through the rest of your life. You know, it's kind of like you're just hanging out. You're like, hey, you know, I just... I. I can't wait to see the movie tonight. Yeah, me too. But you know what I can't wait more for? What? After the movie, when I can think about Jesus some more. Have you thought about Jesus? Like that, that's weird, right? We're not, we're not going to, not, that, that's not what Jesus is asking you to do. Uh, he wants your, your life to reflect him in the fullness, your words, your actions. So here's the thing, parents, I want to talk to parents for a second. Parents, how often are you bringing Jesus up at home? Are you instructing your kids through Christ? Because what's, what a lot of research, a lot of national research is showing is that many parents are leaving Jesus at church and leaving it for the pastors or staff or whoever to talk about Jesus and it's not being brought up at home. Uh, a, a good chunk of parents are doing that. I'm not saying you are, but it's a danger to do that, to go on autopilot, and that's what you end up doing. In fact, they find this, the 18 to 22-year-old young adults that end up leaving the church, they find that a good portion of those uh, young adults that left is because Jesus was only the Sunday thing for their parents. So get this, the parents had him attend church. They're in all these different church programs, but Jesus was never being brought up at home. So parents, it's so vitally important for the sake of your, even your children's future that Jesus is being brought up, and it's not being brought up in a hypocritical way, but that God is interweaving your every action at home. I know that we fail. I have failed as a parent. I failed today. The thing is this, is that we realize that the character of Christ is important in our home, in our everyday life. It's not just a Sunday thing. So step one, what is it? Step one is grow, right? Step two, it's talk about Jesus. Step three is mobilize others to share the story of Jesus or basically make followers of Christ who make followers of Christ 
who make followers of Christ. Basically what I'm saying is multiply yourself. I know that's scary. I've had people say they'd quit their job if there were two of me. I get that. But here's the thing is God wants you to multiply your influence, not so you can be known more, but so that Jesus can be known more. And so we see this in Acts 9.26. And when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Now he's in Jerusalem. And they were all afraid of him. Uh, go figured. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Let, let, this is a parenthetical thought. Here's parentheses here. Stop, pause, right? Is that Paul is now in Jerusalem. They maybe have heard that he is a follower of Christ, but yet they're still kind of scared, right? You know, he, he's a terrorist to them, right? And so they're like, ah, I don't know if you should be in our group, or I don't know if we should, we should tell them the location where we're meeting, whatever. But Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, told the church, hey, listen, you need to believe this guy. This guy's the real deal. You know, and I, I look at this, I'm like, man, there are a lot of people that come through our church doors. We have so many different backgrounds. We have so many people that, that come from all walks of life. And yet those of us who maybe have been in the church a long time, we could have that attitude. Like, oh, are they really? Oh man, have you seen that person? That, is, that can be the most devastating thing because look what happens when Paul is accepted in the church. Verse 28, so he went in and among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, but they were, but they were seeking to kill him. There he goes, he's gonna get killed again. And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. It was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. Did you get that? Paul, who had this awful background, is now multiplying through the kingdom of God working through him. So I don't know where you're at today in the church. You may have been in the church for decades. Uh, you may be in the church as your first week and you, and you uh, placed your faith and trust in Christ maybe even a few days ago. Uh, wherever you're at, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, he wants to work through you to, to grow you rapidly so that your influence is multiplied so that people know Jesus. How can we hold this message back? How can we hold this message back? We can't. We can't. We all have a story, but is it a testimony? So let's review. Who you were before Christ plus the circumstances when you placed your faith in Christ equals who you are now. All right? That's your testimony. Question is, is your testimony growing or does it have cobwebs, right? I've, I've, I've heard plenty of testimonies. I've been in the church a long time and they used to have this thing called testimony night where we testify back in Iowa. Now, I grew up in Iowa. And people would stand up and they'd be like, back in 1952, I led someone to Jesus and that's what I did. And he'd sit down and I'm like, huh, that, that testimony had a lot of dust on it. That was awesome, but what's Jesus doing now, right? And here's the cool thing. Like we could talk about our old stories and they, and they actually have more meaning when the old stories uh, birth new stories when we see God continuing to work. And so if that's you, if you have cobwebs on your story, God wants to bring more stories, no matter how young or young at heart you are. Here's our foundation. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, step one, grow in Jesus. Step two, talk about Jesus. Step three, have others talk about Jesus, right? Where are you at? Where are you at? Are you mobilizing others to talk about Jesus? Are you talking about Jesus? Are you growing? Here's the thing. 
You can't be at step three if you're not doing step one and two. Now, again, I want to just caution you. These steps, you can't find them like in any book in the Bible. I'm just trying to help simplify a growth process that God definitely expects us to have. So where are you at? Where are you really at? It must be said that you cannot grow if you're not talking about Jesus. And today, I just want to address two groups of people that may be in this room right now. For some of you, you need that foundation. That's Jesus Christ. For others, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, but you need a little miracle grow on you right now. You need, you need to grow up a little bit, right? We all, need, we, all, we all can grow more. So where are you at? Well, when we impact God's word, we don't want to just be somebody who knows the word. We want to know the person of Jesus Christ. And you can't know Jesus just by knowing things about him. You need to know him personally. Do you have a relationship with Almighty God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, he created you to have a relationship with him. Did you know that? He you were wonderfully and fearfully made in your mother's womb. You were created to know God. The problem is we've sinned. We've done something wrong in our past, in our present, and undoubtedly in our future. And that sin separates us from Almighty God. You see, God requires perfection in heaven. And not one of us, including you, including myself, we're not perfect. And so sin separates us from Almighty God. And what people try to do is they try to get to God by religion. They try to get to God by doing good works or to prove themselves. But none of these things will get us to God. In fact, our righteousness is but filthy rags, is what Scripture says. And so it requires a miraculous, uh, a, a miraculous happening. And that miraculous happening is this. It's not ourselves. It's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You see, God came 2,000 years ago as the God-man, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place to take the punishment of our sin, to take on God's wrath. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. He stood in your place, and God saw your sin upon Christ. And Jesus died on the cross. The wrath of God came upon Christ. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. Jesus Christ died for you. But because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And his resurrection demands now our response. And the question is this, have you placed your full faith in Jesus Christ? Upon Jesus Christ, what he did for you. The Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ was risen from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die spiritually, but have everlasting life. Have you personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus? If you're not sure or you know you haven't, Right now is the time. You might think like, well, let me get things figured out first. No, let's, today's the day of your salvation, Scripture says. That means that you come as you are, but Christ doesn't leave you as you are. He takes you where he is going. So why don't you just pray with me right now? Why, why don't you consider Jesus? Why don't you place your faith and trust in Jesus right now? Uh, this prayer that I'm about to pray isn't going to save you. It's Christ who's already saved you. I'm just helping you communicate to God. So if you want to place your faith and trust with Jesus right now, will you just pray along with me? Just say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've sinned. And I realize I need a Savior. 
So Lord Jesus, will, will you save me? I place my full faith and trust upon you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Help me follow you now. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus right now, the Bible says you have become a son or daughter of the king. You have been forgiven of your sins. And know this, that once you are held in the grip of God, nothing can pluck you from his hand. Also know this, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, there's a party in heaven happening right now. Uh, when just one person gives their life to Jesus, the angels rejoice in heaven. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.